the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to The Big Silence Podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go. Mental health is my wealth. The stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Hello, Karina Don here, your host for the Big Silence Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. I am sitting in the Big Silence podcast studio for the first time in two and a half weeks. I just returned from a very long trip, a combination of I went to Manhattan Beach and filmed new workouts for your Tone It Up app coming very soon. That was really fun. It was actually over my birthday as well. And the team at the TIU HQ, thank you. Shout out for making the day very special. And also to Bobby, he drove five Pomeranians to Manhattan Beach from Austin. Because when you have five Pomeranians and you don't have a sitter and it's last minute, you drive them. So yeah, I went from LA to Palm Springs to Maui to meet friends for a birthday. And then I went to Kauai and that's where I got married. So I stayed at the same hotel we got, Bobby and I got married at. And that was a solo trip. And I get a lot of questions about solo trips and how to do them and the details about it and the why and what you learn from it, how you grow from it. So I'm going to do a separate episode just on solo trips. Okay. And then last minute, I was just being spontaneous. I flew to Oahu because my friend from New York was flying there for her own solo trip. And I did crash the first couple days. And it was her birthday as well. So I spent some time there. And now, and then I was in Sedona for my sister's birthday. Wow, so many birthdays. But now I'm back here in Austin, happy to be home. And so I also want to say, I just realized that this is the one-year anniversary of the Big Silence Foundation being founded. And I am really proud of the team, the community, everyone out there, and what we've accomplished in one year to make sure that mental health matters and break the silence and end the stigma. And it's through this podcast right here, our Therapy for All program, our live events, and upcoming youth programming launching here in Austin. 
So make sure you go to thebigsilence.com, sign up for our newsletter and stay in touch. And you can see all of these programs over on the website. And also, I just want you to know, all of this is made possible through donations and even a dollar can change a life. Also, let me just, all these announcements, YouTube, did you know that you can watch this episode and every episode on the Big Silence YouTube channel? Really fun. Put a uh, mirror it on your TV, sit down, enjoy. Uh, last week's episode was really fun at, uh, it was the South by Southwest live event, live podcast at The Collective. Great conversation with my trainer and a founder of Collective and fit girl Mel, Melissa Alcantara. And then also, reminder, my book, the memoir, that's coming up on one year of being out. So make sure you head over to Amazon.com or any major retailer if you haven't read it yet. I really appreciate it. And it's really helped break that silence and save lives. Okay, now let's talk about today's guest. It's Terry Cole. She, This is her third time on the pod. She is my favorite psychotherapist, cool as hell. Great to have a conversation with and hang with. She was in town for South by Southwest, so she came to the studio to do a recording. So Terry came from the entertainment industry and realized there was a need to help others. And she became a licensed psychotherapist and relationship and empowerment expert over 20 years ago. Her approach is unlike any others. For more background on Terry, check out episode 10. And then we do a fun live podcast from the book tour in episode 16 with our friend Dale Moss. So check those out as well. Um, And also, Terry, thank you for all of the listeners. She wanted to offer a special offer for the podcast listeners on codependency and boundary setting. It's an eight-week boundary boot camp. So you head over to boundaryboss.me slash the big silence. We'll also put the link in the show notes. So enjoy the episode. Come hang out with me and Terry. And as always, please share if you think anyone needs to hear this episode. Love you. Welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. Our guest today back for pod number three. Wow. On the big silence, because you were here initially um, one-on-one and then on the book tour in New York City with James and Dale. And now you're here in Austin for South by Southwest, Terry Cole. I am. Welcome back. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. You know what's cool? Um, If This is number three, but we've always been able to be in person, which I love the most. Mm -hmm. Me too. So we were just chatting, because in our last podcast, I just discussed what we talked about. Mm-hmm. So we're here for more with Terry. And so where should we begin? We were just brainstorming on ideas. I think maybe if we start about stress, because that could lead into the other topics that mm-hmm. we were just talking about. And stress, burnout, and self-care. Stress. So what I see mostly in my practice and what I see in my groups and all the things I do is women still being super duper stressed out and not wanting to be, but not being able to figure out how not to be. And I see the connection between being stressed and being codependent. Mm -hmm. My clients are these super high functioning, Mm -hmm. highly capable women who are kind of killing it in life but they're overgiving and overdoing and overcommitting and overfeeling. And I feel like that is the stress. 
it's not so much, oh, I can't manage my schedule or I can't say no. I mean, for some people it's that. But I feel like a lot of it is a psychological drain because of how connected they are to the people who work for them, to their clients, worrying about doing too much and not having enough bandwidth Mm -hmm. left. We were just talking about my friend Liz, who is on the podcast, Liz Plosser, and we were talking about that today after we worked out at Collective and just like what, as women, we give so much and put on, you know, so much facing forward in a role where we don't take care of ourselves. We're so concerned about taking care of everyone around us. Mm-hmm. And when you say that women in particular are still feeling stress, what do you mean still, like from when? Just I just mean from even though in the past 15 years or 20 years, like we've all been like hip to meditation, working out, as you mm-hmm. know, all the things, hydrate, get some sleep, what's up with your sleep hygiene, your microbiome, like we, especially in the wellness world, we're well aware of how to mitigate stress in all of these other ways. Mm. But I feel like emotionally, we're still not there, which is why I'm writing a book on high-functioning codependency right now, because this is the, we have not cracked the code Mm. on that. Okay, tell us your secrets. How do we crack the code? (laughs) There's a lot of women who want to know. Well, let's establish what codependency and high-functioning codependency is because I feel like it's something that there's a lot of confusion around what it really means to be codependent. So codependency is being overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the situations, the relationships of the people we love or who are in our life to the detriment of our own internal peace. Mm -hmm. So it's when we are overly concerned, when we are auto-advice giving, when we are auto-fixing, even when no one asked us Mm -hmm. to fix anything. And I say that it's to the detriment of your internal peace or maybe your financial well-being, maybe you're bailing people out of things, maybe it's your emotional or psychological well-being. Because here's the thing, as women and as humans, of course, we're going to be invested in the happiness of the people we love. So it's not like that's pathological or anything is wrong with it. It's when it's to the detriment of our own lives and our own qual- internal experience because we're so busy being preoccupied mm-hmm. with other people's lives. And I think that the miscommunication, the misunderstanding, the misnaming of codependency is something that People have this old school idea of what it is. Oh, codependent, no more. You have to be involved with an addict. It means enabling addictive behavior. It means, and my clients had no identification with that at all. They were Mm -hmm. like, what? I'm not dependent on anybody, buddy. Like everyone's dependent on me. Mm -hmm. I'm the one making all the money. So the reason I coined the phrase high-functioning codependency is because I really saw a different behavioral pattern with women in particular, super capable women Mm -hmm. getting it done, but they were still overly invested in the lives of the people they cared about to their own detriment. So for for us to identify what was causing their pain, Mm -hmm. I needed to coin a phrase that they would see themselves in. So anytime I would mention codependency to my clients or I'd be like, hey, I think that's codependent, they'd be like, no, 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 
it, you're wrong. Like, I'm not dependent on anybody. And I was like, oh, you just don't know what codependency is. So I feel like broadening that and having that out there is really important because even when you are like the master of the universe, mm-hmm. doing all the things and the green juicing and the soul cycle and the toning it up and the soul cycling and all the things, if you are not doing that with your emotional health, the rest of it can't touch the emotional health. So for a high-functioning woman, success in her life, taking care of herself, doing all those things, what is the healthy boundary that she can set so that she is not just performing being doing everything for everyone else, but making sure that she's number one, what does she do? Well, you first have to do an inventory and see where are you over-functioning, over-giving, controlling. Because really at its core, when we think about codependency, any kind, it's an overt or a covert bid to control other people's outcomes. You don't want that friend to marry the idiot. You don't want your partner to get in trouble with his boss so you lie about why he's homesick or whatever, right? Again, this is trying to control outcomes. Mm-hmm. You don't want people making bad decisions in your estimation, and so you're doing what you can to sort of mitigate them. So the first thing that we do is we have to take an inventory of where are we feeling stressed out of our minds? What relationships are causing resentment? Why? So it's really looking at the people who are close to you the people who probably you spend the most time with, or maybe it could be someone who works for you, where someone who where you always have an issue or they're taking off or they're not meeting deadlines, and yet you say to yourself, I know they're, they've got it rough right now. I know they're going through something. And yet there has to be a point where your empathic nature gives way to your business nature and you go, listen, <laughs> like if you need to take time off, take time off. But usually as high-functioning codependents, we're more understanding. And we also don't want to have that hard conversation about someone underperforming. Mm-hmm. So when you identify, so the first step is you're identifying what relationships need your attention in respect to this. Mm-hmm. And then it's really about us doing the inner work of getting so incredibly clear about what is on my side of the street. Mm-hmm. Is this actually my responsibility Or do I just want to control what my grown child is doing or what my friend is going to do? So would you say being a high-functioning codependent is really more about control than anything else? Yeah, it's both. It's about control, but it's also about caring and loving and wanting the best for others. Like I believe that that's in there too Mm -hmm. because I know the people who are drawn to my work and the clients I've had over the last 25 years are all like, Super decent, you know, like loving, loving. We don't want people we love to be in pain. But the part that we miss, even though that first part of that statement is true, but the part that we miss is that the people we love being in pain causes pain for us, and we want that pain to stop. Mm -hmm. Because then, as I've learned from you, comes resentment. Correct. Exactly. We resent them mismanaging their lives according to us, right? We resent feeling disturbed internally Mm -hmm. about their situation, but that's on us. And so part of it is creating emotional boundaries with others. 
And it's not like doing them a favor by creating emotional boundaries. It's truly understanding that every person has a right to be sovereign. Mm -hmm. Every person has a right to their independence. And I know when I first started talking about this with a lot of my clients, they'd be like, yeah, like, so I should let them, like, make their own decisions. And I'm like, do you even see that language? Like, let them. Like, <laughs> are they a doll that you own? You are letting them. Still being like, look, I'm still doing something good for them. And it's like, no. Because that's the control. Let them make their own decisions when you actually should just let them be that. Or not even let them. That's the wrong word we're learning. Yes. Well, you should be in acceptance. Yes. We're allowing others to have their own to be self-determined. And it doesn't mean if your friend comes to you and she's in pain and she's like, my partner just cheated on me. What should I do? Or this person did this. It doesn't mean that we're like, we don't care. Mm -hmm. But instead of saying, oh, I know exactly what you should do because we're so desperate to fix it, it's being able to tolerate our own feelings and saying, how can I best support you? So yeah, it's like, how can I help rather than telling them how they should live their life? Yeah. And asking, what do you think you should do? What does your gut say? Yep. Because your gut is good. Because ultimately, here's the thing. Your friend's life is her life. Mm -hmm. Your life is your life. No matter what we think, mm -hmm. the reality is only she has to live whatever she decides. And I can tell you from being in recovery, from being a high-functioning codependent for a long time, People resented me. Mm -hmm. They would take my advice that I was so positive was the right thing for them to do. And then they wouldn't get the result they wanted. Mm -hmm. And they would be secretly resenting me or like there a little snide comment would come out here and there. And that's the whole thing because look at me acting like I knew what they should do. And then look at them not taking responsibility for their own life and their own actions and actually thinking they could come back and blame me. And that is the dynamic mm -hmm. with high-functioning codependent relationships where you take responsibility for something that is not your responsibility and that you actually can't take responsibility for because only that person has to live the decision they make. Mm -hmm. And when you're in your position, when you're in my position, of course people ask me my opinion on things all the time. Mm -hmm. But I always start with, well, let's just start with what do you think you should do? Yeah. They say, I don't know. Okay, but let's just pretend right now for one second you did know. What would it be? Like I try to bypass the I don't know with like, just throw something against the wall. What comes to you? What is your thought? What is your feeling? Yeah, and if we go back to the gut feeling, most likely we know if we actually listen to ourselves, we know our gut feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way to open it up because sometimes people don't believe in their gut. And maybe there's like, what would it be like an insecurity, an unsureness of self? Well, well, think about chronic indecision or think about some people really labor over making decisions. Mm -hmm. And there is an insecurity. There's a way that if I don't make a decision, then kind of the decision makes itself. But not making a decision, I always say, always making a damn decision because you drag your feet long enough. That opportunity is going to go away. That person's no longer interested or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the biggest things with making decisions is that people are afraid to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times you, if you're a perfectionist, it's like you need to do all the research on all the things. And in all of that action, there's nothing wrong with researching decisions, but it can't be all data. Because for it to resonate with you in your life, and you're, if you're creating something that you hope resonates with others, there has to be your real, true gut in there. Right? There has to be, it's got to resonate with you in an authentic way. And then it will re- resonate with others as something that is true. That's something that is, whether it's for them or not, mm-hmm. people feel that authentic vibe. So I think that decision-making can be difficult, and especially in relationships. What I've noticed when I had clients who would come in and say, I'm confused. I mean, I love this person, but I don't know if I'm in love with them, and la, la, la. I would always say confusion is so much of the time. It's like a mask for not wanting to know what you already know. Mm -hmm. There's not one relationship that I needed to end that I didn't know it long before I ended it. And I was always like, I'm confused. They're not a bad person. I really love them. But I wasn't in love with them. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been in love with them for years. And yet it was so painful to think about being such a super empath, Mm -hmm. hurting this person that I did truly love, which is why I talk quite a bit about, like there's nothing wrong with ending a relationship with someone who's perfectly amazing if they're not your person. Like, that happens, too. Have you ever been in a relationship where you're, like, having a rough patch, but your gut tells you it's going to work out? Or is it always that you're not having a rough patch? I don't know. Just Yeah, I know. I think that relationships can certainly come back from rough patches. But it's funny. With my husband and I, we've been together 25 years. There's never been a rough patch that made me doubt where I was. Mm-hmm. Like I always had faith that we would work it out together and that we, even if I was mad at him or even if he was turning me off or even if he was pissing me off, I never, I've never in 25 years thought, maybe I'd like to go it alone without him. Like everything is better with him in my life. I feel like other relationships, when I had the realization that I was done, down deep at my heart, I knew it was like done, done, never to be resurrected again. Mm -hmm. But in three of those cases, I waited another two years at least to end the relationship because I was talking myself out of it. And really, until I got the skills in therapy mm-hmm. to honor an ending in a way that would not be like the last relationship, like I left in the middle of the night. <laughs> we were living together. And I borrowed money to take a cab <laughs> to my sister's in New York. Like, not my finest moment, I would say. We were talking about this before, too. I have several friends. I don't know if it's because I'm like, maybe this is what a midlife crisis is for all of us. You know, we're all like 38 to 42-ish. And Mm -hmm. everyone's like, death, divorce, this, separation. And for someone, and lots of cheating going on. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on that? Like, if anyone's going through divorce and children are involved and they're losing themselves even more and just that confusion around it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about the nature of cheating because it's something that I find most of the time, at least in my therapeutic experience, people step out on a relationship 
not because of who they're stepping out with, but because of what is or isn't happening within the existing marriage. Mm -hmm. So it's a symptom of a problem within the marriage, which is why a lot of times those step-out relationships don't turn into long-term things because they're a symptom of the problem. And so part of a way to avoid that is to not let yourselves drift so far away that it could even happen. Mm-hmm. Like, my, I don't think Vic and I are codependent, but like, I know where he is all the time. How would you, what? <laughs> like, live on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Like, it would literally be impossible for him <laughs> to have an affair without me knowing. Like, and, and the closeness, even when I'm traveling. And again, not paranoia, just closeness. I know what his schedule is because this is how we communicate with each other. So it's looking at what has happened within the union? Where is the communication gone? Whose needs are not getting met? Is there something that's at the core of the step out, right? Meaning that you have something you really disagree about. Is it a passive-aggressive way of expressing anger? There's many things that could happen. And then once in a while, people do just fall in love with other people. And we we know those stories too. Mm -hmm. But I find that the most productive thing that can be done especially if the relationship is ending and you already decided you're going to get a divorce, is to really look in and go, okay, so when did I first know we were in trouble? What would I do differently next time? Am I relieved? Mm -hmm. Maybe you secretly wanted to get out of the marriage too, which is why you didn't let yourself notice Mm -hmm. how much the person might have been quote-unquote working late or whatever, right? Like when things get tough between people and you don't know how to communicate when it's hard, a lot of times we know the person is drifting, but we're relieved Mm -hmm. because we don't know how to bring them back or maybe we're both so resentful, we don't even want to. But I feel like it's the most incredible opportunity for anyone who's gone through a separation or divorce to look at what is my 50% of this experience. Mm-hmm. How did we get here? Because even the person who steps out, they're still only 50%. You know, we love to be like, well, they cheated and that's it. That's the whole reason. That's exactly yeah. what happened. I'm always like, mm, I don't think so. I think that there's a much deeper story than that. That is the symptom. But whatever is not well in the marriage was not well long before anybody stepped out is my that's my therapeutic assumption. Yeah, because the people that I know all have young kids. Mm. Daddy's stepping out. Yep, that's so brutal. Mm-hmm. And and is that because daddy's not prepared for fatherhood? Maybe. Or daddy wanted a traditional thing where like the wife stays home and does all of that taking care type stuff? Like, so that maybe the couples should have communicated and maybe cut, even if they felt like nothing was wrong and I'm not the therapist, I'm just thinking now back on that, maybe they didn't discuss what their roles were going to be oh, and yeah. their expectations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always suggest the couples do what I call the state of the union mm-hmm. where maybe every other week you just meet. My husband and I do it on Sundays in bed, over New York Times, coffee, where you're just like, how are we doing? Mm-hmm. Right? We start with gratitudes, but... How are we actually doing? And I'll tell the truth. Hey, you know, we, I know we've talked about it briefly, but we had this interaction around the mortgage or whatever it was, and it really left me feeling uncomfortable, and I want to talk a little bit more about it. 
All right, let's do it. We're prepared. When you set up a time that's it's really lovely and it's like lovely and loving, right? It's not like you're in trouble and this is a problem. Yeah. It's a time to normalize problem solving mm-hmm. so that problems don't get to the point where someone feels like the only way to get their need met is to step out or down deep. You want to blow it up so bad because you don't have the words. You don't. You feel like a terrible person if you want to end the marriage. So you just find a way to get caught. Yeah. And now your soul will eventually be free, right? Because once you blow it up, a lot of times we're not coming back from that. But if you can talk on a regular basis, even if it's just twice a month, you're checking in. Like, are we okay? Are you feeling happy? How are you feeling about sex? How are you feeling about the finances? How are you feeling about how much time we're spending together or not spending together? Yeah, that's good. And able being able to have a safe space for that too and not a space of judgment or taking things personally. It's just like, I think you, everybody can be like, this is how I'm feeling. I think that's really good. Like, this is our time. Yeah. Those are more boundaries, right? Yes, and you use the language of like, How are we doing? Mm. How are you feeling? And trust me, this is coming from me in the beginning of my relationship with my husband. Anytime I would try to bring anything up or ask him if everything was okay or he was okay, he'd be like, you always want something to be wrong. Nothing's wrong. Everything's great. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't want something to be wrong. I care deeply about how you feel and what you want down to the smallest nuance. So I want you to tell me if I'm doing something that's getting on your nerves so it doesn't keep getting on your nerves. I have a question. What's it like being married to Terry Cole, the expert in everything (laughs) 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 therapy-wise? Oh, wow. I wish Vic was here. (laughs) You don't have to talk in the room if he's not here. But I I love it. I was just having that thought in my head because I would be like, I would... Like, I'm not asking for a therapy session. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, it's funny. Vic is so intuitive, though. So it's like, I know everything for everybody else, but not in my own marriage. And I was just saying to one of my girlfriends that I was with today about how being such a, you know, I mean, I'm a baller, like in life, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a beast to a degree in a positive way. Empire builder, all the things. Mm -hmm. But Vic knows exactly. He's not threatened by anything. I mean, he has his own great success, and he's very well-known in his business and was before I met him. Mm -hmm. So I don't—a lot of times I had boyfriends where my success threatened them, but that wasn't the case with Vic. But he also treats me like a dainty flower, even though he knows I'm a fucking warrior. Do you know what I mean? I do know. (laughs) I've been using the word word savage. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Bobby is over here. He's laughing. He knows. I'm like, today I'm a savage. And then like my <laughs> friends check in with me that I do business with. They're like, have you been a savage today? And we're like, little savage, big savage, major savage. <laughs> but even savages and boss babes, like they like to be treated like dainty flowers. That's right. Like <laughs> knowing though, the when to do it. Yeah. And with Vic, he always wants to be a part of my solution. And I feel the same for him. Mm-hmm. But his whole life is making my life easier. Yeah. And I love that. That Those acts of service make me feel 
so loved and cared for. And like, he's a safe person mm-hmm. for me to be completely emotionally vulnerable with because he's emotionally trustworthy. So your love language is acts of service? I have so many. Poor Vic. <laughs> All of them except presents. I don't care about gifts and things. But yeah. every other one is yeah. mine. And I think his only one is acts of service. No, and words of affirmation too. I love words of affirmation. That's like you can change your mood right away. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about false self and true self. Mm. Mm. This is actually kind of a good one when we're going from being boss babes, mm-hmm. that there's a certain amount of external building that we do. And especially if you have a public life mm-hmm. as well, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. This is normal, right? But a lot of times, even if you don't have a public life, we've been taught to build the false self based on other people's assumptions and opinions and how they think we should be, down to being, you know, little kids where, you know, kids should be seen and not heard or be nice, be a good girl. All of those things are, they're in our unconscious mind about how we should be. And a lot of us have like built massive businesses, sort of despite that good girl stuff. We'll just work 17 times harder and still try not to let other people down. And I remember being in therapy many years ago and I was talking to my therapist and she was, I was talking about all these things I needed to do and should be doing. And she really introduced this whole concept of the false self and true self. And she's like, Terry, you've been very successful and you have built You know, the erection of the false self has been very successful. So it's almost like think Mm -hmm. about the false self as a beautiful billboard with fancy lights and everything is shiny and Mm -hmm. perfect and the makeup is perfect and the hair is perfect. Yes, I know. Somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And then she said, but I want you to close your eyes and think about your true self as a little kid sort of sitting down with her knees up in her arms underneath. So I was like behind the billboard. Mm-hmm. What is that little kid doing? How is she? And I was like tired as hell. She's got like a scraped knee. So when I have that image for you, what do you see as the child? She's crying. Yeah. Mine was crying too. <laughs> We're both going to cry now. But <laughs> I know. Our little girls are crying now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so that shifted something for me to go, this is how I feel inside. Mm -hmm. I'm overworking myself. I feel overly responsible for all the people in the world. It's not even just the people in my life. So many other people. And why am I not taking care Mm -hmm. of this little kid? Mm -hmm the way she deserves, because I was kind of parentified as a child in a similar way to you, different but similar, because it's having more responsibility than you should at a young age. Mm -hmm. And it makes childhood different Mm -hmm. than it would be if you didn't feel that way and if you didn't have to do those things that a child should not have to do. And so I bring this up because we can be, a version of us is the billboard. Mm -hmm. So even though the Alice Miller's work and different people's work, we call it the false self, it's, I call it, it's really the outside self, mm-hmm. right? It's what we show the world. It's how we do what we do. But the real key is tending to that inner child 
and really getting into a dialogue with our young selves. Mm -hmm. Like, what does she still need? Mm -hmm. When you're making decisions, are you thinking about her? Have you honored her experiences and therapy enough? Does she feel like anybody cares about what she's experienced? Make sense? Yes. And so that's the work, right, is... Some of the, I like John Bradshaw's stuff, inner child work, and there's so much great stuff out there now, but it's just a way of thinking of ourselves Mm -hmm. because we are this dichotomy of the billboard and the child. Yeah, I like that vision. I invite anyone listening to this to do that. And then from there, see that, that inner child behind the billboard and how do you heal her? What are the first steps to even know? Because a lot of people don't hear about inner child work. I've done like writing letters to myself mm-hmm. and all of that. First, just ask her what she needs. Mm-hmm. How is she? Can you visualize your grown-up self hugging her, putting her up on your lap, giving her your undivided attention? Just that is such an act of love. Bringing more play into your life not having everything be so efficient and so like, um, you know, feeding two birds with one handful of seeds, as my friend Chris Carr would say, where we're always thinking about how can I be more efficient? How about sometimes, how can I just have fun? Mm -hmm. How can I just let myself rest when I'm tired? Can I give myself permission to say no to things Mm -hmm. that are too draining, even if it disappoints Mm -hmm. someone else? These are all ways that we honor, heal, and integrate our experience of the inner child into the tapestry of our lives because we don't want her to be separate. We don't want her to still be suffering because what ends up happening, if we do have original injuries from childhood that we really, we haven't fully honored, I'd say, healed, they're still charged. And there'll be times in your life when that little kid is like running the show in a way that probably is not going to be the best for your business or your marriage or your relationship or your friendships or whatever. So it's having a regular time Mm -hmm. where you check in. If you journal, write a letter exactly as you said, Karina. Dear me, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry I wasn't able to do this for you. What, what do you need now? What do you want now? You're amazing. You didn't deserve that. Especially with the childhood things, whether it was emotional neglect, whether it was straight up abuse, whether it was an expectation that you'd be perfect. Because here's the thing. Is a lot of times people will come into my therapy practice and they're like, my childhood was amazing. Everything was freaking great. There was no problem. I mean, they, we don't feel like we have a right to our feelings. And then we start sort of getting into it, I'm like, what was the expectation mm-hmm. for you? Oh, well, A's or A pluses, that was the expectation, that I would be the number one gymnast, that I would, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of times when in therapy, you're uncovering a lot of traumas that you didn't even know were there because you didn't have to grow up with a mentally ill parent or alcoholic abusive parent. Like there's the little things <laughs> that are those hidden, like little T's that actually you have to heal from as well. And honor, because Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of times it's easy for us to go, well, my childhood wasn't as bad as yours Mm -hmm. or yours, or 
my parents never beat me. Or like we justify it away or we say, my parents had it worse. Mm-hmm. So I know they did the best they could. And I'm like, listen, that's all your adult self justifying that. Your five-year-old does not care what your parents went through. Mm-hmm. Your five-year-old needs you to only care about what she went through and to validate how hard that was and to honor those experiences and not hide them away, write about them, talk about them, write a letter to her about them. Brene Brown talks about shame and how like secrecy is one of the main tenets of keeping shame alive. And so no secrets, right? Like talk about it, share about it. Let her feel like she, her experience was valid. Yeah. So what about for those, going back to your the expectations of your parents that would put on you is get A's, maybe a B, or be on swim team and win that race. And how can that affect you later in life? Oh, in so many ways. There's so many situations at home, the growing up situations that can turn us into perfectionists, high-functioning codependents, eating disorders, all the things, like from having an authoritarian home to having a totally chaotic home. Mm -hmm. Because again, like the behavior, especially with, let's just say, an eating disorder, most people know it's about control. Mm -hmm. So if you are in a super controlled environment, you may choose, of course, this is all unconscious, but you're going to control what you can, which is what goes in your mouth or what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a chaotic environment, there can be order in the way that you relate to food. And so even though it's sort of the same behavior, it's for different reasons. But all of any kind of dysfunctional childhood, which every single person in the world had some kind of dysfunctional childhood, can create these things later in life. And so really identifying them as we're grown up, being able to go, what are my pain points? What are my repeated frustrations? Where do I find myself in the same situation that I don't want to be in, saying, how the hell did I get here again? And then we can go from that place and ask the questions. We can try to see, is this connected to a childhood experience? And you just ask the three cues, where have I felt like this before? Mm -hmm. How is this person or the situation familiar to me? How is the behavioral dynamic? how I'm interacting with that person. So if you had a punitive mother, let's say, Mm -hmm. who was kind of mean and judgy, you may find that in a spouse. Mm -hmm. You may find that you have a lot of friends Mm -hmm. who are judgy and punitive. Or you may go the other way and find yourself a trap. And usually we do both, where you'll have one friend who's sort of a repetition compulsion of the mother relationship. And then you may find another friend that you love so much because they're wide open with no judgment and their heart is just on their sleeve and you feel so safe with them. So it isn't like we're always repeating, but anything that's causing you pain in a repeated way that you can identify, that is a pattern that is usually rooted in the past. And if you ask those questions, and we could put them in the show notes, Mm -hmm. you can start to get insight into what am I repeating? Like, why am I here again? Because I promise you there is an unconscious reason why. And 
these are things that you can do. And yes, let's put those in the show notes for sure, because if you can't get to therapy for many reasons, financial, no insurance, or live in a mental health desert where it's just not available, this practice you can do on your own. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also, I mean, I think therapy is great. And with the Big Silence Foundation, one of our programs is Therapy for All. And it's a scholarship where we're trying, we have therapists in our network to mm-hmm. help pay for it because therapy is so good. Mm-hmm. But it's not affordable for everyone. I know, and it should be. Yes, I agree. So, okay, I'm going to end this with, what does Terry Cole do for fun? Mm. What do I do for fun? I jump on my trampoline every day. It's my workout, but that's fun too. Yes. I love moving my body. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Do you like listen to music and jump? I actually follow my lady, Michelle Brailer. So I have a a thing I'm doing. My sister and I both do it. I have a trampoline here. I haven't used it yet. Bobby, Bobby unpacked it. I ordered it from Amazon. He's like, I would like to see you actually use this trampoline. I'm going to though. Dude, it's my fave. It's the best workout. Yeah. I mean, not the best ever, but it's a really good one. You look forward to it. That's the best. I do. Yeah. Fun. Being with my girlfriends that I've grown up with since we were all in second grade and just laughing at the dumbest, like we still laugh at the stupidest things and the things that happened when we were in fourth grade and sixth grade and mm-hmm. seniors in high school and when we went to Puerto Rico when we turned 40. And like I have such a long history with these seven people. That's great. Yep. That's really fun. Having adventures with my husband is fun. He'll just come in from the studio because he's an artist. And he'll be like, hey, want to take an adventure? I'm like, yes, I do. I don't even know. I would be in the middle of anything. I'm literally putting my shoes on. We get into the truck. We'll just drive to a town we've never been to, mm-hmm. have lunch at a cafe. We Just look at the scenery. Just do something to break up the monotony mm-hmm. of the day. But also doing it together is fun. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Bobby and I like to adventure. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and you're you're gonna have to and I have let to go. Say yes. You're gonna have I'm to very let go. structured and like calendared. Uh, it's like, wait, but no, I have to do this or this. It's so good though, Bobby. It's on you, baby. I'm a hundred percent in. Now you're gonna be accountable. <laughs> because it feels so good to just go. Just be. I'm dropping what I'm doing right now, what I was quote-unquote supposed to do, and realizing, because probably the little girl in you feels very life or death mm-hmm. of the getting the, I got to do the next right thing, or I'm going to give myself permission to jump in the car with my husband and go have an adventure that is unstructured and unplanned, and it's going to be amazing. All right. I guess Bobby's in charge. <laughs> and at home, you do this too. And <laughs> let us know what you do. I like that. Being more free. Spontaneous. Spontaneous, yeah. Flexible, pivoting. It's so important to have a happy life because we can't control all the things. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Terry Cole, for coming by. Sure. I loved being here. Always good chatting with you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. 
Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence.